Hallelujah, Lord. Be glorified. We worship you. We worship you, Holy Spirit. And we recognize your presence in this moment. Church, the Holy Spirit is not done with this moment yet. The Spirit says, if you're hungry for me to step in and to take over in your marriage, in your family, in your work, in your heart. He says, I'm the one you're thirsty for. He says, open your heart to me. Yield to me, says the Holy Spirit, that you might know my power, my renewing, my hope, my strength. God wants us to open the altar right now, church. In a moment, the worship team is going to continue to lead us. And as they do, God wants you to know that this altar is available for you. Come kneel down. Nobody's going to bother you. You can seek him. And the scripture says when you seek him with all your heart, then you will find him. And he's here in this moment for you. He's here in this moment for you. So the worship team's going to continue to lead us. And as they do, come, kneel at the altar, meet with God, yield to him, let it happen. If there's that tug in your heart, just come now. Let it happen, just let it happen. God will meet you here in this place.
the Holy Spirit says, what you hunger and thirst for, when you feel that great restlessness in your heart, you hunger and thirst for more of me. That's what you're yearning for, is more of me. So yield yourself to me, God says. Yield yourself to my spirit. Soften your heart. Surrender to me, the one who loves you. I will be your very great reward. Church, we we aren't naturally inclined to yield to the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to. But when we do, then we discover him closer than we ever thought. Closer than we ever imagined. And he wants that for you. He wants that for us. He wants that for us. The only thing necessary for you and me to do is to yield. So God, we wait on you in this moment for the gifts and the working of your Holy Spirit. We are still to sense your presence, Lord. Yes, God. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am in. Oh, I'm going to sing of the goodness of your faithfulness.
Lord, we yield to you. We surrender to you. Have your way in your church. Have your way in our hearts. Teach us how, Holy Spirit, to receive you in all your fullness. Teach us how to open the doors of our hearts and let you have your way in our midst. We pray for that. God, we ask that together. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. He's a living God, church. At 2.26 on Friday morning, I woke up in the middle of the night. Not for the usual reason that people of my age wake up at 2 in the middle of the night. But God woke me up and he said, Greg, I want to do a new thing. I want to do a new thing in my church. I said, okay, God, I'm ready. What do you want me to do? He said, I don't want you to do anything. He said, I want you to invite my people to surrender to me and to yield to me. He said, Greg, I don't want this to be something you lead. He said, I want to lead this. I said, okay, God. For the last two days, I've been trying not to lead this. Will you help me by surrendering yourself to what God wants to do? Let's let him. Let's let him. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Teach us day by day, week by week, going forward. Teach us how to yield to you, how to surrender you like we never have before. Like we never have before just to let you have your way in our midst. We ask for that. We know that you hear us. And we pray in the great name of your son, Jesus. And together we say amen, amen, amen. Would you be seated and say hi to somebody next to you. Greet them, make them feel welcome.
Good morning, church. Welcome to this holiday weekend. Um, welcome to the presence of God this morning in worship. It's good to be with you. I, I just, I have to tell you, and I think the Lord did this, I'm completely exhausted, all right? Um, I haven't slept through the night the last three nights. Every night, God's woken me up to pray, and I'm just praying. And I was up most of last night, but God says, Greg, I, I want you to be weak so that I can be strong in this. And, and will you help me with that? You just surrender. Just yield. He's, he's, he's talking to your heart. Just listen. Where's he, where's he calling you to yield? Where's he calling you to surrender? You, you won't regret it. You, you won't be sad that you did. You know, the supernatural happens right alongside the natural. They happen at the same time. They happen alongside each other. So this morning, I want to I give you some announcements. We're going to rejoice in dedicating a child. We're going to open the Word because revival is about the Word of God. But really, it's about you and me surrendering to what God wants to do in us uh, in this time together. Amen? Amen? So I, I want to invite Chris and Amanda to bring Sailor and Emma down front, and we are going to dedicate them this morning to the Lord. They asked for their church to be part of that. They want to do that in front of you and with you, and so here they come. Uh, here's little Emma right here, yeah, and here's Sailor. They're twinning this morning. They got the twinning thing. You know, Chris was going to twin too, but I talked him out of it, so he's not, Thank you, not doing that this morning, but... No, they're, they're here. They've asked to come before their church family in, in order to dedicate their children to the Lord. And um, it's a big deal. Uh, baby dedication is about three things. It's about recognizing, first of all, that our children are not accidents of biology, okay? God sovereignly places them in our lives. And he, he chose you to be mom and dad for Sailor and Emma. And so they're recognizing that this morning, Chris and Amanda. You know, we read in the Bible about Hannah. She was childless. She cried out to the Lord, said, Lord, give me a child. And, and he did. He blessed her with a son, the prophet Samuel. And recognizing that he came from the Lord, she dedicated him to the Lord of the temple. And that's what Chris and Amanda are doing this morning. It, it's also about recognizing the fact that Chris and Amanda have a sovereign calling now. And that is to raise Sailor and Emma, who has the most beautiful brown eyes, but to raise them in the knowledge of the Lord. And, and they're dedicating themselves to that this morning. They're saying thanks to God for our daughters. But they're also dedicating themselves to raise them in the knowledge of God. And, and that's where you and I come in because this is their church. And so their daughters are going to grow up learning about God from all of us in children's church, in service, in the foyer, in the parking lot, in small groups, and, and their dedication, we stand behind them as they dedicate. They, they want to say to the Lord this morning that they're going to raise their kids in the knowledge of God. And so that's the second thing this is about. You just have hypnotic eyes, don't you? <laughs> and then the third thing is that they're recognizing that God has a calling on their daughter's lives, that their daughter's at the end of the day, don't ultimately belong to them, but belong to God. And they want to offer their daughters to that calling. Just like Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple and dedicated him, and they had no idea how big that was going to get. Um, it's the same thing for Chris and Amanda. And Emma, 
may someday be the next president. Somebody say amen. Yeah, someday. But she has a calling, and they're dedicating their daughters to that this morning. So church, we're all a part of this. We do this together. Can I ask you to stretch your hand out towards this family this morning? And Chris, as the priest of your home, can I ask you to lay one hand on your daughter, each of your daughters there? Good thing you don't have three, right? Yeah. And then uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning giving thanks for Sailor and Emma, recognizing that you made them, that you placed them in their mother's womb, that you placed them in this home and in their family, and we give thanks for that, God. We recognize your hand, and we give thanks. This morning, Lord, we ask your anointing on Chris and Amanda as they raise their daughters to be wise, to be patient, to be full of faith and joy and love and to reflect your goodness into their lives. God, we ask your blessing on their home. We ask your blessing on their leadership. We pray that in their daughter's lives, God, you would grace them with the, the, the power and the wisdom to raise them well. And then, God, we offer them to you. We know that you have a calling for their lives. We pray that that calling would be perfectly realized. God, that you would walk them through every day of their lives towards the purpose, the fruitful and beautiful purpose that you have for them. We ask for your blessing and your anointing on their calling this morning. And we thank you, Lord, as your sons and daughters for being part of Chris and Amanda's dedication. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, you guys. Amen. We've got a couple of Bibles right over there for you guys. Right over there, sis. Yeah. Normally, my, uh, my wife hands out those kids' Bibles. Yeah, right there that we have for you. But she's actually homesick this morning, so uh, she's not here. And, and, and before we do announcements, I'd like us to pray together because there are so many sick people right now. Uh, just a tidal wave. Uh, we're experiencing that, hearing about it in every corner of the church, and I want to ask us to pray. And and I might be just a tiny bit selfish this morning, ask you to specifically pray for my wife, Rhonda. This, this morning was the first time in our lifetimes that I've seen her call in sick because she wasn't able to teach children's church. She's never done that in her life. And uh, she's been out half the week and quite sick. So she's not the only one. There are many. God hears our prayers. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you this morning thinking of so many that are sick, Lord this weekend, this morning, we pray that your power would touch bodies, would wipe away viruses, would, would eliminate bacteria, God, would renew and restore. Lord, we ask for your touch on your people. We pray for healing in homes, in families, God, in dormitories, Lord, we, we pray. Lift up our brothers and sisters to you, Jesus, and ask you to touch them with your power. And we pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few uh, brief announcements this morning, things to keep us aware of. Like we said, the supernatural happens right alongside the natural. But one is that this week with spring break, it's a holiday week, and so there won't be any Wednesday night activities, youth group, kids group clubs, all that stuff on Wednesday night uh, won't be happening this week. You probably already know that, but in case you don't, that's the case this week. And then coming up in just a few weeks is our Elevate Kids Retreat for second through fifth graders. That's going to be happening on March 3rd and 4th. We'd love to have your, your kids, your grandkids, uh, be a part of that. Uh, you can sign up at the church office in the foyer, scan the code on the chair in front of you, lots of ways. Um, if, if the cost is a challenge for you, would you please let us know? 
One of the things we're committed to as a church, one of the reasons we all give is so we make sure kids get to go to camp. And so we'd be glad to help your family get your kids to camp. Don't let that stand in the way, please. Uh, contact the church office. Um, good stuff. And then um, also uh, just want to thank you for your ongoing patience. As you saw when you came in this morning, we, we have a construction site on our campus now. Um, you're going to start to see more and more of a mess. Parking is going to get tighter for a season. It's going to take about four or five months. Then we're going to have a whole lot more parking, but most importantly, we're going to have a children's wing out here. So in the meantime, thank you for your patience grace. We'll have another entrance to the campus. You'll be able to go in one and out the other. Traffic will be good, and everybody said amen. So uh, that's coming up. But for a few months while that's happening, you know, a lot of us are going to need to park over in the grass over here and just kind of be patient with each other and everyone. So great news, but it can be a, a little bit of something to deal with for a few months. I also want to thank and celebrate our church because a couple of weeks ago when we had that child sponsorship Sunday, uh, MRCC sponsored 22 more kids around the world through Compassion, through Mercy Reigns. It's pretty cool. 22 more kids were sponsored uh, in the neediest parts of the world by us. That's a cool thing. And last week when Teen Challenge was here, the girls sharing about their journey with uh, substance abuse, uh, one of those girls was adopted and sponsored by a family in our church. So can we just kind of celebrate all this kind of cool stuff? Kind of amazingly cool stuff. Um, Thanks to everyone who gives so faithfully, and you're, you're unbelievable. You blow my mind. You have for a long time, and God uses it, and it's cool. Um, grab your Bible this morning, if you would, and open it to Luke's Gospel, Chapter 4. We don't have a lot of time. I'm going to go quickly this morning. But God wants to speak to us. He wants to continue us on this journey, this road trip with Jesus that we're taking in 2023, all the way through Luke's gospel from start to finish. And this morning we find ourselves in Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 31. And while you're turning there, let me point something out to you, uh, something you may have noticed from time to time, something I want to call your attention to this morning, and that's this. You and I live in an ocean of invisible influences. Now, let me, let me say that again. Take this in. We live constantly affected by a host of invisible influences. It happens in a lot of ways. You know, we live in Enumclaw. You can't see the wind, but when the wind blows, you know it in Enumclaw, right? You know, it's invisible, but it very definitely affects our fences, you know, and our trees and our, our, our city. You can't see the wind. It's invisible, but it's very real. You can't see a virus, but hang out with a room full of toddlers for a Saturday and you'll experience the effect. That's what my wife's going through this morning. Giggles are contagious. You ever been in a room where somebody started giggling, somebody else started giggling, pretty soon none of you could stop laughing? There's an invisible influence there. Change the temperature just a little bit. And that rain that we get so tired of becomes snow that we get so excited about. Just a small change in an invisible influence. The fact, you know, we could go on and on. The fact is that we are all deeply affected by a host of invisible influences. And I bring that to our attention because in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is going to reveal his power over our invisible influences. More on that in a moment. You know, we're tempted to not believe in invisible influences, to not think they're significant, to not think that they're really there. But anyone who pays attention quickly recognizes 
like we said, that there are a host of very real and very invisible influences. 1,500 years before the invention of the telescope, our telescope, microscope, I'm sorry, going down, not up. 1,500 years before that happened, a Roman doctor, a Roman physician, right around 1 B.C., 2,000 years ago, a physician named Marcus Terentius Varro. This is the kind of historical factoid that we nerds get excited about. But a Roman physician named Marcus Varro wrote this in his journal and made a public address about it. It's 1 B.C. Here's what he said. He said, there are bred certain minute creatures which cannot be seen by the eyes, but which float in the air and enter the body through the mouth and nose and therein cause many diseases. Now, when he said that, people laughed at him. Invisible miniature bugs. Marcus, get a clue, bro. You're not tracking with what's real. But what do we know now? We know that even though people didn't believe in those invisible influences, they were very real. And it was happening. And Marcus was ahead of his time. In the same way, God wants to talk to us about the invisible influences in our lives this morning. They can become life-controlling. They can create addiction. They can create fear. They can create anxiety. They can create depression. They can create sickness. They can create illness. And a host of other things we're going to touch on briefly. As Christians, we come to understand that there is a powerful, invisible influence in our hearts. It's something called the sinful nature. (laughs) And once you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, once you've lived with God's Holy Spirit for any length of time, you begin to discover how real it is in your life. My wife and I didn't grow up in a church home as young adults when we first heard about the sinful nature. I thought, what are you talking about? But then, once I started to try to live a godly life, I discovered that there was a part of me that was seriously messed up, that wanted the wrong things, that inclined towards self-destructive and other destructive things. The Apostle Paul writes about this invisible influence this way in Romans 7. Here's what he says. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate... I do. What a wretched man I am. In other words, he said, there's this thing going on in me that inclines me towards what is wrong. What a wretched man I am. And then he says, who will rescue me from this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the big idea this morning, and we don't have much time. The idea is this. Jesus wants you to experience his power over your invisible influences. He wants you to understand and experience his power in your life here and now and eternally, of course, but here and now, his power over your invisible influences. Luke chapter 4 tells us what happened after Jesus was kind of driven out of his hometown. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in the first part of Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 31 and following. Here's what the Bible says. Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach the people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In other words, he clearly knew what he was talking about. You could feel it when he spoke. And here's the thing we want to grasp this morning. No matter what else Jesus was doing, whether it was uh, leading a a movement in the synagogues, whether it was healing crowds, whether it was feeding 5,000, whether it was 
setting free those who were demon-possessed. We're going to see some of that in a moment. No matter what else he was doing, he was also always teaching. Always. This was his heart. When he went to the synagogue, like he did here this morning, he went there to teach. When he went to the temple, he went there to teach. When he went into somebody's home, he went there to teach. He was relentlessly committed to teaching. He used every way to teach there is imaginable. Sometimes we wonder, why did Jesus use so many parables? Why was he always telling stories? Because he knew that teaching the heart is as important as teaching the head, and so he told stories to reach both parts of us. But here's why. Jesus knew that the most powerful invisible influence in our lives is what we believe to be true about God. And, and friends, we collect hosts of ideas about God from all sorts of places all the time. Jesus knows we have that tendency. Jesus knows we have that spiritual drive to, to, to experience God, to know God, to encounter God, to think about God, or, or to find reasons not to think about God. And because of that, he taught. He knew that changing your mind was how you and me would experience his power. Not the only way, but the deepest way. And so he was relentlessly committed to Jesus. Let me ask you, where do you get your ideas about God? I, I hope you're not getting them from country western songs. Somebody say amen, all right? I hope you're not getting them from rap songs or any other kind of songs. I hope you're getting them not from the discussion you had your freshman year late one night in the dorm when you were half intoxicated, not from your casual observations over the fence in your neighborhood, not from TV, not from binge-watching Netflix. I hope you get your ideas from Jesus. Because he tells us the truth about God. He teaches us the truth about God. He teaches that not only to our heads, but to our hearts. And so he, he tells stories that we might know the truth about God. Stories like, there was a father who had two sons. And one day his youngest son came to him. He was a wild child. And he said, I, I want to do my own thing. I'm no longer into your household rules. I want out. Give me my inheritance. Let me go. And then he did. And, and then he made just bad decision after bad decision. And the consequences piled up in his life. And he squandered everything he'd been given, every privilege he'd been given. He abused his parents' deep and rich love for him and just made an unbelievable mess. And at the end of it, he, he came back home and Jesus' audience expected Jesus to say, the other son was a good guy, and if you be like the other son, you'll be blessed. But that's when Jesus turns the story, and he says, the father saw the younger son way far away, and he ran to him, and with tears threw his arms around him. He said, oh, my son, you're home, and he brought him to the house, and he killed the fatted calf, and he invited the neighbors, and they celebrated, and he poured out his heart, and he revealed his love to the son. Jesus told that story so that you and me would know the heart of God for us. Because he knew that when you knew that, it would have powerful influence in your life. The first invisible influence that Jesus addresses is our ideas about God. Let me just ask you, we don't have much time. Do you let Jesus teach you the truth about God? Do you listen to him in his word? It's the simplest of Christian disciplines to simply listen to Jesus day in and day out in the Bible, to listen to the word of God and to let Jesus tell us stories and, and take us into situations and to hear his heart and to hear him tell us 
who the Father is because that invisible influence will control your life. False ideas will, about God will control your life. True ideas about God will control your life. And when Jesus teaches, it's to overcome that invisible influence on our life. You know, growing up outside of a church home, I, I grew up thinking that the one thing I never wanted to do was submit to anybody. I was a rebel from day one. As a matter of fact, you want to know how dorky I am? In my senior year in high school, me and a couple of other guys put together the anti-prom party on prom night and had our own thing. You know, fight the power, down with the man, against the establishment. Because I was afraid that if I submitted, I would be controlled and I lived with that. And then something happened to me called the United States Marine Corps where submission is not actually an option. It's pretty much required. And I lost my fear of it. I completely lost my fear of it. I learned that when I submit, I'm not destroyed. When I submit, I don't go away. When I submit, I actually become part of a team. Even if I submit to somebody who maybe I, I, I'm better than they are in some way, if I choose to submit, I become part of a team. And I completely lost my fear of it. Now to this day, it's like submission, sure, no problem, we can do that. It's not a problem, not afraid of it. That's how Jesus overcomes those invisible influences of our ideas about God. He says, you know what? When you submit, nothing will be lost. Look at my son. He submitted to an unjust cross. He took your sins upon him, and none of it destroyed him. He overcame. He rose above it. So will you, Greg, and I lost my fear. God wants to do that kind of thing in your life. It happens as you let him teach you about God. Okay, the second thing, the second of three invisible influences. Notice what the scripture says, verse 33. In the synagogue that day where Jesus was teaching, there was a man possessed by a demon by an evil spirit, by an invisible force, by a something that most of the world says isn't real because they can't see it. But this guy was certainly giving evidence of what was going on inside of him. He cried out at the top of his voice, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This was a man not in control of himself. This was a man overcome by impulses. Impulses that were demonic in origin that had to do with an invisible reality that is there even if we pretend it isn't. And some people say that all publicity is good publicity, but Jesus disagrees. What did he say to the demon? Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching with authority and power? He gives order to evil spirits, invisible influences, powerful ones. But Jesus gives orders to them and they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area church. If you don't know yet, the demonic is very real. Now, sometimes we attribute things to it that we shouldn't, but that doesn't diminish the reality it is a thing. As a matter of fact, one of the things I didn't expect to, to, to kind of learn in 30-some in years of pastoring is almost every single person that I ask about the demonic has a story to tell about their experience with it. Whether it's waking up in the middle of the night and feeling that your bedroom was filled with a presence, to being somewhere and feeling an overwhelming fear, or encountering something that you can't explain, <laughs> you're not alone in having stories like that. Almost everybody does. 
even before I was a Christian, I did, but I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want anybody to know about it because I didn't have any understanding of it. But Jesus says, guess what? I have power over those things. He wants you to know that in the moment when you encounter the demonic, you need not be afraid because he has power over it. Can I share a couple stories with you? When I was a youth pastor many years ago, one of my youth counselors called me up at 2 in the morning at my house. This was before cell phones, so the phone's ringing at 2 in the morning. I got to go into the kitchen to answer it. Please don't call me at 2 a.m. I love you, but please don't do that, all right? And she said, Pastor Greg, you have to come over right now. There's demons in my bedroom. I could hear the panic in her voice. She was experiencing something very real, even if it was invisible. And I said, sis, sis, no, 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 no. Listen to me, listen to me. Jesus is right there with you. He has power over this. All you need to do is invite him in. So, no, I need you to come. No, you don't, actually. I actually <laughs> am kind of scared of what's in your room, if you want to know. You know I mean? <laughs> I'm not the answer. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I said to her, sis, he's right there, and he has power over it. Invite him into the moment. And on the phone, I coaxed her to the point where she said, okay, she began to pray, Jesus, step into this moment, and you immediately could hear things start to change. Her voice changed, her experience changed. She slowly calmed down. She slowly came to understand that although the demonic is real, she knew that, she felt that Jesus is more real. And that was the end of that experience. And then I blocked her number on my home phone. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. But listen, church, please. She needed to know that. You need to know that. You know that I'm as honest as I could possibly be with you, and I'm going to tell you this. Three times in my life, I have encountered demonically possessed people. Not a lot. Three times. And every single time, it is unmistakable, it is overwhelming, and every single time when I went, whoa, I'm way out of my league here, I immediately know whose league it was. I began to pray, Jesus, will you step into this moment? Jesus, will you take power of this moment? And every single time he did. Every single time. And now it's to the point where I'm like, bring it on, bring it on. I got a big brother. He's bigger than you. There's no worries here. God wants you to feel that. You know, our world wish we had more time, we don't. Our world says, why are people going crazy shooting each other? Why is violent crime at an all-time high? Why is there so much depravity? Why is there so much wickedness? Why is there so much hate and strife and discord and evil and anger? And some of it is the flesh of man and some of it is the work of the demonic. Like it was in the life of this man. And our world says, we, we don't know how to control this. We don't know how to deal with this influence. Jesus says, I can do that. If you'll invite me in, if you'll invite me in, he'll wash away those dreams that afflict you when you invite him in. He'll wash away that fear, that anxiety that comes over you in those moments. He'll deal with the demonically possessed when and if they appear in front of you. It's not about you, it's about him. And he wants you to know that. Can I tell you one more story about this and we'll move on? When, all, when I was a youth pastor, I went to, I would take, pick kids up, take them to lunch, you know, after school, ice cream, whatever. I was going to pick up a middle school boy in our youth group one afternoon. I pulled up in front of his house and, you know, he's kind of in a rougher part of town, parked my motorcycle. I got off to walk up to the door. And when I stepped onto the sidewalk, this rampaging pit bull came charging at me from the next yard. I mean, he was slobbering, growling, 
he must have weighed 150 pounds. He was huge. He was mixed with something else, but you could see. And he was coming hard. And when I saw that, I was like, ah. You know, I mean, you just don't expect that. Whoa, it came flying off the porch straight towards me. At that moment, the middle school boy that I'd come to pick up was coming out the front door of his house. He had seen my motorcycle pull up. He was coming out to meet me. And when he saw me jump, when the dog came, he started laughing. He busted a gut like nobody. Funniest thing he ever saw was Pastor Greg, ah, you know, going like that. And he was just laughing so hard. And he, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Pastor Greg, look, he's chained. And he was, he had a giant chain on him. He could get most of the way to the fence, but he couldn't get any farther. He ran his heart, kind of like Wiley Coyote, he went down, right? And it hit me. This boy lives next door to that dog every day of his life, and he has zero fear. Why? Because he knows it's chained. So he walks out of his porch without fear every single morning. Jesus wants you to know that about the demonic. It's defeated in Christ. You, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, because you're a believer, are not supposed to be afraid. Instead, in those moments, you say, Jesus, I need need you to, to put the chain on here. I need you to remind me that the enemy is a liar. Now, listen, Christians can't be possessed. You have the Holy Spirit in you. But we can be what's called oppressed, which means deceived and tricked into thinking that we're somehow being controlled. That's the devil's game. Jesus has power over that. He says, no, no, listen to me. Listen to what I'm telling you. I want you to be unafraid. So that invisible influence in your life, the next time you encounter it, Jesus has power of it. Turn to him, invite him into it. Here's the last thing. He also has power over the invisible uh, influence of illness in your life. Now, this takes two forms. On the one hand, he can and will heal you when you ask him in prayer. He is a living God. He does miracles. Ask anybody who has prayed for people, and they will tell you about the times they've seen healings. It happens. Sometimes it doesn't. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it does happen. And Jesus says sometimes it doesn't happen because we don't ask him. James tells us in chapter 4, verse 2, you don't have because you don't ask. Sometimes we just don't ask. Matthew tells us over in chapter 13 that Jesus went to one village, and people were so unwilling to offer him their faith that he didn't do many miracles there, hardly any. Why? Because people just weren't asking. They didn't believe. They weren't willing to ask. Jesus says, no, come and ask me. I am a living God. I heal today the same as I always did. Look at what the scripture says in in, uh, Luke 4, beginning with verse 38. After the demonic guy, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. She bent over. He bent over, rebuked the fever, and it left her. He healed her just like that. She got up at once, began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Church, part of yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit is saying, God, I'm asking you to heal me. You come to church and you're sick or you're sick at home like my wife is, and she says, would you pray over me? I says, you bet I will. And I lay my hands on her and I pray over her. In asking, we invite his power into our lives. Now, everybody says, hey, sometimes it doesn't happen. Why not? Because sometimes God has a bigger picture in store, at least in the short term. Paul tells us that God allowed his prayer for healing to go unanswered for a while because God knew that Paul was growing a spirit of pride. 
He had become a big deal, a big leader, he had surpassingly great revelations that he had. And God says, you know, that's working on your soul. I want to allow you to experience a little infirmity because it will bring you back down to earth. God, like any good parent, will do that kind of thing with us from time to time, so that's real. But sometimes he's just waiting a while because he's doing another work before he comes around to the healing. Over in Mark chapter 5, we read about the synagogue ruler Jairus who came to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick. She's dying. She's very sick. Would you come and heal her? So he's asking. Jesus says, sure, absolutely. He heads with Jairus towards the house. But on the way, the scripture says that there were some delays. There were some interruptions. And as a consequence, Jesus hadn't got there when some men came from the house and told him, hey, your, your daughter's dead. The disease went its full course. She died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Why bother the teacher? And Jesus said, hey, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. And he took Jairus to the house, went into the daughter's room, leaned over her, took her hand, and said, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she rose from the dead. Church, healing comes one way or another. It comes eventually. It comes in Jesus' time. It comes in God's time in our lives. Sometimes we wait for it, but sometimes in our waiting, we get afraid of what it's doing in the meantime. Jesus says, hey, even if you drop dead and disintegrate into ashes in a bottom of a pit somewhere, guess what? I got you. You're going to come back. Your body's going to come back. The whole thing's under my control. Rest in that. Because the invisible influence of living and the fear of that will control your life. Jesus said he doesn't want that. Finally, the last thing. The greatest invisible influence of all is the influence of sin in our lives because, church, sin separates people from God eternally. The Bible's clear about this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Sin, though invisible to most, will separate us in our hearts from God now and in our souls from God eternally. But Jesus has power over that. Jesus says, you bring, my sin to, you bring your sin to me, and I'll wash it away. I'll deal with it. The wages of sin is death. Your sins separate you from God, but the gift of God is eternal life in grace Jesus. You know, one of the beautiful things about the, the revival that seems to be happening in Kentucky is it's built around repentance. People are going in to confess their sins. Yeah, yeah. And then they're experiencing the power of God over the invisible influence of sin in their lives. Church, Jesus, at the end of the day, is seeking lost people because he knows the power of sin in their lives. You have friends, you have family, you have neighbors who are walking in sin. Understand, that will separate them from God, both now and eternally. Jesus knows that. And so he's constantly seeking them. And the crowd that was experiencing his ministry here in this town, the Bible says at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. Because Jesus knows the invisible influence of sin, he is relentlessly dedicated to seeking to save people who are afflicted by it. And we will have our lives utterly transformed when we join him in that. Jesus left this village. He didn't stay there endlessly doing the miracles of healing, endlessly casting out the demonic, endlessly teaching. No, he said, you know what? I've given you, I've shown you what faith in me can do. Now I want to go show some other people. Now I need to go show some other people. And he left that town and went in search of them. When you and I 
join him in that, then he calls us his friends and we experience his influence, his invisible influence in our lives more powerfully than in any other way. Let me finish with a story. In December of last year, in Burnsville, Minnesota, every parent's worst nightmare came true for Derek and Deanna Gachi. They were dropping off stuff for a party. It was cold and snowy and windy outside, so their big Chevy Suburban was running with the lights on, and their four kids, all under age five, bundled up, couple in their car seats, couple in the back seat, while mom and dad unloaded the back of the Suburban for the party, opened the hatch, carrying stuff in. Suddenly, as Derek went to close the hatch on the back of the Suburban, a minivan pulled up on the street and a man leaped out of the driver's seat, a man who had carjacked that minivan. And he was switching cars and he ran to the Suburban and jumped into the driver's side. Derek saw what was happening and lunged to the door to stop him, but the man was too fast. The door was slammed. He hit the gas and suddenly Derek and Deanna saw their car with a carjacker and their four kids on it accelerate down the road. Derek said, I panicked. He says, I turned and looked at the minivan and I saw that the the elderly woman who had been driving it, who had been carjacked precedingly, she was in the passenger seat and she was looking at me with eyes as big as saucers. He said, I didn't know what to do. I just reacted. I ran to the minivan. I jumped in, slammed the door and took off in pursuit of him. He said, the grandma surprised me. I didn't really care what she thought. In my mind, she was just along for the ride. But when I slammed the door and hit the gas, she looked at me and said, let's go. (laughs) And so a pursuit began through the neighborhood, went for several miles. Derek and grandma somebody in hot pursuit of the carjacker. And they caught up. And Derek was able to use the minivan to push the SUV off the road up against a fence and to pin it did a lot of damage to both cars, but when that happened, Derek was able to get out. The man leaped out the passenger side, ran off. Police eventually caught him, but Derek was able to rescue his kids. And afterwards, when it was all over and the police were there, the reporters were there, Grandma said, you know, my car was a small price to pay to save those kids. She says, I'm guessing he's a pretty good dad. And he said, I'm guessing she's a pretty good grandma. That's all God is asking of us. To join him in his pursuit of his lost kids. That's what he's saying to us. That's what he's saying to you. He says, I know the invisible influence of sin. He says, will you join me? Will you give me your heart, your time, your energy, your willingness to serve, your giving, your your friendship, your prayers? Will you give them to chasing my lost kids? When that happens, an invisible influence enters you. That's the most powerful of all. Jesus wants you to experience that. So as we close this morning, he has power over the invisible influences in your life. You say, my sin is out of control. Invite him in. You say, I'm dealing with the demonic. Invite him in. You say, my head is a mess and I can't figure this stuff out. Listen to him. Invite him in. Let him teach you. You say, I've done those things and and I feel like something's missing. He says, will you throw open the door of your life? Let me jump in and chase my lost kids. Yeah, would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. God, help us to know, to believe, to trust that you have power 
over the invisible influences in our life. Teach us to turn to you that we might experience that. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand, church? Yeah. Let's let... I'm just your fellow believer on this journey with you. Let's let, let's let this morning be the beginning of our surrender, of our yielding. When we come back again next week, let's come back saying, God, whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Do it in me. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Mm-hmm.